You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again for another Physics Ed Podcast. This week we are talking all about chemistry education in its purest form. We're hanging out with Scott Geetler, who is the co-founder of ChemTalk, which is a collaborative effort involving students and teachers, industry professionals, and citizen scientists. So if you really want to up your chemistry game, we're hanging out with someone who really loves and understands how to teach chemistry in a way that's meaningful for students. So let's hang out with Scott. It's well worth our time. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. I, I, I do a lot of things. When I was young, I had a, a very big chemistry background. I was in the International Chemistry Olympiad for two years. I actually took high school chemistry five years early. I took college chemistry four years early. My second grade teacher told me when I was in second grade that I'd memorize the periodic table and she'd bring me over to other classes to talk about. I don't remember that. That was a long time ago. And um, I did a lot of chemistry in college. So science was a big part of my life. And, um, and I've worked in a lot of different fields, but the last couple of years, once I had space and time to get back into science, I really discovered my passion for it. And at the same time, I realized that things felt a little different when I was young, because when I was young, kids went home and they did science, they had chemistry sets, they loved science. And I started talking to people and I found out that, yeah, you can't, you're not allowed to sell chemistry sets anymore. And kids, when they came home, it seemed like they were doing social media and video games, not science when I did. And I started, you know, building a home lab and doing all these experiments with my kids. And they just, they loved them. They really got into it. And um, I reached out to one of the most famous people in the United States, Bassam Shakashiri. He's famous for producing these books on chemical demonstrations. And I told him, you know, what a fan I was of his, his books. And he, uh, I told him I was in the International Chemistry Olympiad and he sent me a copy of his books and it sort of started a, a seed, it planted a seed that, you know, he does demonstrations in person and he's reaching thousands of people, but he's retiring soon. And he actually just retired with modern technology and the web and YouTube and TikTok. We can reach millions of people and really change the perception of chemistry and show people how amazing it is. And then I started talking to other people and some of my neighbors and a lot, I met quite a few people who were really interested in this idea and wanting to help out. And before I know it, I had three people who wanted to co-found a nonprofit. They're like, let's make it a nonprofit and see if other people and students want to volunteer. And we put the word out. And before we knew it, we had like 20 volunteers. Um, I have a lot of experience setting up website and social media channels. So within a couple of weeks, we were up and running. And next thing I knew, ChemTalk was started. And hasn't it got going? Uh, I love the fact that it really, it just starts with just a small idea. And then suddenly you got yourself an organization and you're going to make an impact. It's really, really awesome. And, and uh, I'm just interested, running these sort of things with our kids, uh, how, 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 what issues, misconceptions do you often see when it comes to uh, 
chemistry and understanding it in their world. I mean, I know for me, one of them is um, chemicals are bad. Yep. Chemicals are toxic and they're going to kill you. <laughs> yep. so, I imagine that's one of them. Is this, uh, yeah, and you said yes straight away. So, <laughs> Well, first of all, the first thing we did when we started ChemTalk is we're like, do we even need ChemTalk? And we put together a Google survey and, and we put it out and we've had hundreds and hundreds of people take it. And we found out that 85% of students say that chemistry for them was boring or difficult or they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So we're like, wow, this is really high. And it, it really gave a lot of validity. Um, but speaking of, of chemicals and toxicity, I think you hit two nails on the head. There's a lot of misperceptions about what is a chemical. Yeah. Almost anything's a chemical, right? Sugar, salt. So that's the number one mis misconception is people think they, they have no idea what a chemical is. I'd say 99% of people, they think of a chemical as something that's, that's dangerous when all a chemical is, is a compound. It's another word for a compound, which is everything. So some things are pure chemicals, some are mixtures of chemicals, but really everything we touch is a chemical. So that's the number one misconception. The number two misconception is toxicity. People think that something is dangerous, it's toxic, or it's not. And what, what I tell people, and I didn't make this phrase up, but you know, it's the dose that makes something toxic, toxic, not the compound, not the chemical. So water can be toxic. I was going to say that. It can be toxic. But even something like vitamin D, vitamin D is a highly toxic compound. If you take a small amount of vitamin D and eat it, you probably die because the quantities we take are so small. Same with caffeine. Caffeine, if you were to eat a spoonful of caffeine, you probably die because caffeine is also toxic. But the, number, the amount in coffee and tea is, is tiny. It's minuscule. So I think that those two misconceptions form the core of all other misconceptions yeah. that anything can be toxic and um and that anything can be a chemical which makes a lot of sense i mean i suppose that's the whole point of outreach and science communication and science education to be able to get kids sort of get, to get past it and hopefully adults too because there's a lot, of, a lot of people with this idea uh, um but it, i mean at the same point though i mean you did say something about chemistry being hard and I mean, a lot, I know that when you, when you speak with a lot of um, uh, elementary type students, middle mm -hmm. school students, and they often think of chemistry being the colored chemicals mixing together, make a bang. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the time, the last thing you want in a chem lab is a, a bang. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. Uh, and I suppose in the older grades, um, there is not, uh, there's a lack of understanding that there's a little bit of mathematics involved because you, you need to, you need to know what's genuinely yeah. going on. So how, how do we sort of bridge this? Because, I mean, the, the kids have got this perception in their head about what chemistry is. And then there's what actually chemistry, what, what, what chemistry happens in a high school laboratory. Then there's chemistry that happens in industry. And they almost right. feel disconnected. And I'm sort of just curious about what are your thoughts around how do we sort of help kids navigate this? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's exactly the problem that we thought about that we want to solve. How do we... How do we get people interested in chemistry while acknowledging that there are difficult parts? And, and, and there's also kids and teachers who just think chemistry is a bang. So I feel like 
first of all, there's a lot of chemistry demonstrations like throwing sodium in water and explodes <laughs> or you light methanol and you get a lot of oohs and ahs, but they're not hands-on. The kids are not doing it themselves. The kids see the teacher do this demonstration and they say, that's cool. And then they move on. It may not institute a, a love for science. So one of the things we do at Come Talk is we, we do our own research and we've developed dozens of experiments that we think are safe and amazing that people can, the students can actually do and give them a love for science and chemistry that makes them want to learn the hard stuff. So for example, you can take aluminum foil and you can put it in a copper sulfate solution. And if you add a small amount of a catalyst, sodium chloride, you'll get copper powder yeah. instantly. You can filter it and the kid, you, you can really hold the copper and you can say, look, I made a pure copper element. And when kids do this, they think it's just the most amazing thing in the world. And why don't people do that in chemistry? Well, a lot of the chemistry labs have evolved to teach a subject, teach a concept. So everyone who's done chemistry knows the coffee calorimetry experiment, where you need to learn specific heat and you put something in a styrofoam cup and you heat it up. But, um, but chemistry doesn't always have to teach you something. Sometimes it can just be enough to show people that science is fun and amazing. And then you can make them want to learn it. But I think that chemistry has just been so focused on you have to cram in these subjects. We have to, everything has to teach you something complicated that the students don't get to see the fun part of like holding elements or holding a pure, pure piece of chromium or silicon, which is really amazing. That's just all skipped over. What's so, the thing? Like, I mean, I kind of think about the, um, my, and it's my, my journey through chemistry land. Uh, yeah. But it often felt like when I was very young, honestly magic like straight like hang on you had two clear things and now it's purple yeah what, what's with that <laughs> and then then, he, then they mix the next two clear things and now it's yellow <laughs> it's like what and so it took many many years and honestly frankly past high school to really understand that it really came down to electrons moving and what were these things yeah. actually doing but i mean initially those it was, it was really it was really hard to sort of connect what was going on in the beaker as to what was going on like on paper it kind of made sense visually yeah. in front of you it's like yeah this is a little bit wild and what's going on and that's actually honestly a misconception you often see with kids because well, especially when they're young uh they'll see mixing of paint or mixing of light and it's got right. a predictable result but i mean in chemistry you could have uh, several different blue reagents and several, several different yellow reagents and certainly putting them together maybe some of them should never touch <laughs> depending on what they are right. it's, it's kind of a it is sort of hard for kids to sort of genuinely visualize what's going on within the comp, you know, as the compounds do their thing, as they touch each other. Uh, very, very, very difficult, isn't it? It really is a fine balance between getting a love of science and go, wow, this is fun. But there's also the, here's what's going on as well. It's, yeah, yeah it can be, can be challenging. You need to start with simple concepts. Like one thing that my daughter loves, she's six years old, is you take sodium carbonate, and um, we make it in the oven from baking soda, baking soda from sodium bicarbonate. So everyone in the US has sodium bicarbonate in their house. Yeah. You heat it in the oven for an hour, you get sodium carbonate. And then in another beaker, you dissolve Epsom salts, magnesium sulfate. And when you mix them together, you get a precipitate of magnesium carbonate. Yeah. 
And it's, it's a very simple demonstration that you have two different compounds that dissolve in water that are clear, but when you mix them, you make a new compound that does not dissolve in water. And my daughter gets it. She's like, this new compound is insoluble. It's not soluble in water. And now she completely understands the definition of soluble and insoluble. Now, does she know that electrons were transferred or ions? Well, they weren't, but that ions switched compounds and it came out of solution. Maybe not, but I think it's the idea of one concept at a time yeah. um, that even right. little kids can under, understand and, and appreciate and make them maybe want to dig into it a little deeper. Absolutely. I mean, I actually think about the, um, even with little kids, and actually this does extend into older ones too, even just something as simple as melting versus dissolving. Right. <laughs> you often say you often see it with our kids uh if especially like you we mentioned sugar before and you put sugar a little bit of sugar a little bit of water on it they'll often say it's melting right. <laughs> and it's like well is it uh and so we were actually watch our language don't we when we're actually introducing concepts not to actually say what's used in the vernacular of common talk and suddenly it's now put into a science lesson now that's the real language yeah. they use and they carry it through their lives and it's very easy to, to make happen hey yeah. And I, I found little kids, I mean, they can learn an incredible amount, way more than adults. And if you teach them these things, like you're talking about, they'll remember it and, and they'll correct people and teachers when they say it wrong. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll, Hey, that's not melting. That's dissolving. Absolutely. Uh, and, and then there's the other thing, I mean, for example, all liquids mixed together. No. <laughs> like oil and water is, is the usual example that's brought out but it's it's right. a, i mean but much must say i mean we are going into a bit of a rabbit hole about about this about misconceptions but this is a real thing misconceptions children's science uh goes all the way into adulthood if mm-hmm. it's not corrected and that's really the job of the educator so i'm actually curious so with chem talk i know that uh the, what you're doing is you're building out a whole bunch of resources that people can access all over the globe which is very very cool right. around, around chemistry it's really neat and uh how does this uh, work if, if there's um, if there's classes, schools, whatnot, who may want to actually do more than just find stuff on, on websites and whatnot? Are that, is there plans to maybe go out to them one day? There's three stages. Stage yeah. one is to amass a, a huge following as a, as, a, as a comprehensive resource. And we're, we're seeing that right now without even letting anyone know about ChemTalk, a lot of teachers are finding it and sharing the links with the students. We see thousands of visitors from Google Classroom from all different towns across the country and the world. Um, And people are giving us feedback saying, hey, we're sharing this with our students because you explain the concepts in a very simple, fun way. So that's phase one. Phase two is actually very similar to what you're doing with your webinars. Phase two, which we plan on starting next year is we create what's called the ChemTalk Live Lab. And we have our own space with a pristine, beautiful lab. Think the opposite of Dingy, where we live stream science and demonstrations to kids and they can interact and ask questions on either Twitch or Facebook Live or YouTube live stream. And we give them a schedule. So here's a schedule for the whole year. Sometimes we're doing a chemistry demonstration Sometime it could be a visiting teacher or professor doing their own talk or demonstration. It could even be you on there one week. We can say, hey, Ben Newsom is visiting 
California from Australia and he's going to do his own demonstration. So you can imagine that you can get hundreds or thousands of students on these live streams asking questions and they're chatting, right? So they have a, the chats running and they all see each other's comments. And this is happening right now with gaming. Gamers will go on and they'll play a game on Twitch and thousands of people will watch and tell them what to do and ask questions and make comments. But not that many people are doing it in science. Actually, I thought no one was doing it until I found out that you're sort of starting to do something similar with your webinars, which is exciting. So that's the next step for us. And then I think the third step is, is the in-person. But what we'd really like to do is motivate volunteers to take our, our experiments and demonstrations and concepts um, because we wanna reach millions of people, right? We wanna change the perception of chemistry. We wanna change these. And if we're just going door to door, I mean, that's, that's very limiting, right, for us. I mean, especially in a big country like the United States, it's not scalable for us. So we wanna give people tools to do it. Um, so teachers can incorporate this in the classroom. They can incorporate these concepts and misconceptions um, so we want to have that big global impact. That, so I feel like it'd be remiss of me not to ask, what's your favorite chemistry demonstration? Uh, there's, a, there's a few. So lately, there's two that really come to mind. One is Briggs Rauscher, which ah. we just posted on all of our social media channels this week. And um, we have a couple versions, one version where it changes color from amber to blue every 15 seconds and one where it's like every three seconds. And um, that's really exciting. Um, the Belazov-Zabatinsky reaction is something you have to time lapse. So when you watch it, it looks boring, but when you time lapse it, it's the most beautiful reaction in the world that creates all these traveling worlds, of waves of cover, color. And then one of my favorite is when you take gallium and you combine it with aluminum, even if the gallium's not a liquid, it will form an alloy, an amalgam with aluminum. And what happens when you add this to water is really interesting because most people don't know, but aluminum foil has a 50 nanometer layer of aluminum oxide that's always there. Because when you take aluminum foil and put it in water, nothing happens, Ben, right? Mm -hmm. But it should. I mean, aluminum is an extremely reactive metal. Aluminum easily can turn water into hydrogen. And this is one of the reasons the oxide's on there in the first place, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. this oxide layer, not only does it prevent aluminum foil from reacting with anything, but it forms literally at the speed of light. So if you go and you scrape aluminum foil and you're like, okay, I can't see the oxide layer, I'm going to scrape it away it forms literally faster than, than you can move. But what gallium does is somehow breaks the crystalline structure so that water can actually reach the aluminum element. Yeah. And if you take aluminum and combine it with gallium and put it in water, you instantly get huge bubbles of hydrogen and the aluminum goes into, turns into aluminum hydroxide. And it's really dramatic. It's very safe. And you can recover the gallium. The gallium is only a catalyst. It doesn't even get involved in the, in the reaction. So 
that's an example of something that is a lot of fun. And when I tell parents, they're all like, we want to do this. We want to get gallium and just having kids hold it in their hand is great. But very few people know about this. And um, it's just one of many examples of things that kids can do over and over safely. And, you know, there's so many concepts there, you know, redox reaction, materials, phase changes, you know, it's just... I feel like when science educators uh, walk through a hardware store or a grocery store, we have a different eye for what we're seeing. Because <laughs> I totally do. I, I walk the walk, walk the aisles and go, I could use this, I could do that. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, the mind does uh, wonder a little bit sometimes. <laughs> I'm assuming. Funny. I've, I've done the exact same thing. I really have. Yeah. It's not allowed. I mean, you're effectively shopping for atoms. Yeah. When you really think about what, what it is that you're buying, especially if it's a pure substance. Uh, I mean, we've got a, um, and I'm, I'm in our, um, our recording studio, but um, uh, just, just outside is, is a big rack of what we affectionately call, there's a local brand of shopping centers down here called Woolworths. And we just call yeah, Woolworths. We used, to, we used to have Woolworths. Yeah, we, 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 yeah there you go. <laughs> we, 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 we've got a, a whole rack of, we just basically call it our, our Woolworths. <laughs> there's <laughs> heaps of stuff in there and it's like any other uh, high school science lab you see around the place and actually something i encourage uh anyone who's in the in, in the younger year uh, with schools is to slowly build up a um a stock of things that you can use now the problem of yeah. course there comes the issue of perishables versus non-perishables and what you can safely store in schools versus not you know there are rules about this right but having a go-to space that's built up over time i mean don't expect to do it straight away you got a lot of money to spend straight away um, yeah. but it can be very powerful. I mean, the fact that you're talking about aluminum foil, I mean, it's incredibly versatile. You can use it for more than just chemistry. You can use it for all sorts of stuff, uh, yeah. but having it there when you want to do it, cause the kid asked the question and more importantly, you know, the experiment to do when it's, Oh yeah, let me just go get the foil. It's, it's really good. And going, Oh, that's great. I'll tell you what, we'll do that next week. And, and that's fine. You come back next week and you do the lesson, but the kid's interest has waned a bit because they've had to wait a week i mean maybe if you build it up a little bit they're really waiting for the experiment to happen because hey i've been waiting a week for this to happen but there's always that lack of spontaneity that somehow loses that magic as an educator because especially like if you're the one you know you're there trying to show what you know as best you can but uh sometimes you're limited not by um imagination you're literally limited by the resources and uh, having that nearby is a very important thing yeah, Woolworths is interesting because Woolworths was actually famous for having a lot of chemistry sets in their windows in like the 1940s and 50s. And they also sold something called the Chemical Garden. And it's another one of my favorite demonstrations and that that it's important for the kid to do it themselves. Where Have you done the Chemical Garden? I'm before? curious as to which one it is. This is the one where you have sodium silicate solution and you drop in the metal salts. Oh, yeah different colored metal salts yeah. and it grows upwards. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Actually, you know, there's um, some of those old kits had some interesting stuff in it. Like there's some of them had uranium in it and all sorts of things, depending on it, it depending what year. had uranium in it. <laughs> it's all sorts of, uh, it's some wild kits when you look at it uh, back in the day, some of it you don't quite see now. Um, and occasionally you'll, um, they've done a very good job of cleaning out high school lab um, st- supplies, but every now and then you come across some stuff, you go, hmm, that's an interesting ver- version of phosphorus, <laughs> for example. It's, <laughs> it's, maybe you don't have that yet uh, now. Uh, but yeah, it's a, 
I suppose um, I mean, it's, this comes down to our students really seeing the world for what it is, which is really just atoms doing their things, mm -hmm. whether it's solid, liquid, gas, or maybe they're in a plasma state or something like that. Uh, but it's how they interact and how they can be used. And often when we present our chemistry programs to kids is that our, our job as a chemist is to not only just look at what happens when these, um, when these reactions take place, is what can you do about this knowledge? Can you apply it in some, some way? Yeah. And, uh, and that, that honestly then sets the kids on that path towards potentially a career in science. Yeah. I think the first step is, is getting them interested and excited about it. And some of them may go on to science, some, some may not. But if you start them off where they just think it's really hard or they hate it, then that's, that's never going to happen, right? So um, we're trying to get kids to, and, and really people in general. I mean, we, we meet a lot of adults who like studied chemistry or they maybe got a PhD and they're like, I don't even know how to do science with my, with my family. Like, isn't it too dangerous? And I'm like, no. And I show them what we're doing in the experiments and the reaction is just like, oh my God, I didn't know any of this. I can't wait to do it. And it's really finding, helping a lot of adults refine their love for science that they had a long time ago, but now they only apply it in their job. Absolutely. And then one of the arguments I, I make when, I, when we run programs for adults is science is simply just a way of thinking. It's just, we change one thing and see the effect. And if there's no effect, guess what? That was the effect. <laughs> Nothing happened. That's the result. Uh, but if something happens, well, now we've learned something. That's all it is. I mean, all the body and knowledge, and there's a huge body of knowledge around the globe. Of course, it's deep and rich and it takes a bit of time to learn. But it really just boils down to that simple concept of what's happening in front of you and can you change one thing and what's the result? That's all it is. That's all science is. And um, once you sort of break it down to a very simple, and that's very, very basal <laughs> way of viewing things, from there you can build. Um, and it really makes a difference. And actually that brings up the point. I'm just curious. If you had um, some educators in front of you and you were going to really give them some guidance, some ideas about yeah. really good ways of getting kids into chemistry, what would be your initial uh, suggestions? I, I think that you, I would suggest that they introduce them to what you talked about, introduce them to atoms and elements and compounds and let them do some simple experiments that show you some really amazing elements and compounds, you know, whether it's they're static or you can form them. Um, I think I think for a lot of people I know that got interested in science, it was learning, learning about the periodic table, learning about color changes, just exposing people to some of that and just, you know, seeing their reaction, letting them grow some metal crystals themselves or like the, the chemical garden and showing them, you know, a model of an atom and how electrons work and and how molecules are formed just bef without giving them the, the hard, difficult math right away. Just postpone that a little bit. I'm not saying don't do it, but just change the order of how people are exposed to stuff because a lot of places, they just jump right into these more difficult concepts, theoretical concepts that make people lose interest. Yeah. Uh, let's take that first step before we try and run. <laughs> 
<laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And that's actually the real key of education, isn't it? Because it is so tempting to use the big words. It really, really is. Uh, and, and I mean, I've only been teaching for 20 years and I know there's people who've been teaching for 40 or 50 or whatnot. And it, it takes a long time to kind of refine your language, especially when you're dealing with um, the younger ones of which, I mean, I, I mean, my world very much whilst we teach up to grade 10, a lot of my work is in the middle years. And it's so tempting to tell, what, tell the kids what you know for grade 12 or paper, potentially a postgraduate class, but you're doing them a disservice by saying the big yeah. words because all you do is turn them off. You're actually doing exactly the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it is important to keep that in the back of your mind. Are you saying this to help or saying this to show off? And that's not what we're really doing. You're there to, you're there to help. That's, that's the job of the educator for sure. Well, you, re you remind me, I was on a call the other day with this wonderful person from Science Buddies. Science Buddies is one of the most established STEM education nonprofits in the US. And they have tons of resources. And they were telling me that when they get science writers and a lot of science writers are PhDs and they mm. ask them to write for a middle school or fifth grade audience, it's very hard for them to make it uncomplicated. Yep. And that's really what, what makes ChemTalk unique is that all of our volunteers, and eventually we're going to have some full-time employees to manage the volunteers so we can grow it, you know, to two, three, 400 volunteers. But right now, everyone who's writing is a college student or even a high school student. And it just comes natural to them to make it in a, in a simple, fun, easy to understand way. And, um, you know, I mean, some of these people are, are chemistry majors. They've had very advanced topics, so they know the material very well, but they know how to relate to people their age. And so that's just all the feedback we've been getting is, yeah, it's so easy and simple to understand this versus, you know, going to an online textbook or even, um, you know, other educational resources. So I, I do think that there's a huge advantage to having younger people explain things to each other. Ah, absolutely. And that, actually that brings up the point. How do people get in touch with you? If you want to get in touch with us, the easiest way is to email admin at chemistrytalk.org, A-D-M-I-N at chemistrytalk.org. And we are looking for advisors. We're looking for volunteers. We're looking for writers. We're looking for donors, sponsors, partners, collaborators. ChemTalk is designed to be a vehicle that people want to be a part of to help, to help the organization reach a global audience. And, you know, we can't do this alone with the existing team. The idea is that it grows and as people find out about it, they wanna be part of it. And, um, and they can do that in a, in, a, in a lot of different ways. So either email us or come to the website, chemistrytalk.org. And there's lots of information on there and how to get in touch with us. And uh, yeah, if anyone's listening to this, we'd really like to hear from you, even if, uh, even if you just wanna tell us, yeah, we listened and thanks for what you're doing. Well, the beauty about it is it's such a simple thing to, to look in your favorite search engine, ChemTalk. Simple. <laughs> and yeah, then if you get... type in ChemTalk, mm. we're like the first 12 results. <laughs> and that should rise it. over time, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, so, right? No, we're, we're number one and number two, three, four, all the way down to 12. So we're the, all the top 12 results. Yeah. We're not the... number 12. We're, we're, we're 
were all 12 of the first results. There you go. It's a, you can't miss it. And then as yeah, usual, we, do, we put these links in the show notes too. So you'll definitely be able to find it uh, and definitely reach out, really encourage you. And I'm really curious to see what's going to happen over the next couple of years, especially as you grow this, it really is amounting to a huge body of work. When you think about the number of people writing week on week and effectively going to be year on year, that's going to be yeah. quite deep. It won't take long to happen. I, I'm, it's exciting. We're already getting 90,000 visitors a month on the website, which is smashing through our expectations. And um, we're, we're, we have elements on there. We have tutorials, experiments, history of chemistry, interviews. Right now, for people to get this information, they literally have to go to eight different places. Yeah. And this, as far as I know, we're the first people to bring it all together. So not only do you, can you learn chemistry, but you can learn how to do it. You can learn about role models, historical role models, modern role models, um, all in one place. So we really want people to fall down a rabbit hole, sort of like your site, the Fizzle website also is a rabbit hole. I really enjoy yeah. Yeah. Through, looking through looking through your site. Yeah, the, phys the physics education website really grew out of just initially the free resources grew out of, we were getting inquiries a lot about how to make, you know, the standard volcano or something. Right. right. And so we, we would email out, here's how to do it. Uh, and then it was like, why don't we just publish that? Uh, and by the way, anyone listening in, yes, the, the traditional vinegar and bicarbonate uh, soda volcano is technically not exactly what actually happens in a volcano. We always have to frame that as that it's just a visual right. representation of what's actually exactly. happening. There's a, there's a lot of flack that can happen when you talk about it. Is that what's happening? Uh, but it's not. <laughs> but it's still a hook to then talk about the geo, geo, geology processes. But here's the thing. These things build over time. And so, yeah, there's, um, yeah, there are, there's a couple of hundred experiments and a lot of podcasts and um, whatnot all on the site. Uh, and again, it's meant to be a, a way to help. And I think that's exactly what ChemTalk's doing, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Ben. We really appreciate the, the support. It means a lot. And um, it's, it's, been, it's been great to talk to you and, and, and the audience. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun, free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Well, there we go. We just heard from Scott Geetler, who is the co-founder of ChemTalk. So if you want to know more, head on over to chemistrytalk.org. So chemistrytalk.org. Head on over and find out all the different ways you can teach chemistry using the fancy chemicals all the way down to the simple ingredients that you can get from the local shops. And really, when you think about it, chemistry really is about getting kids into a lifetime of learning and exploration. Really get them to understand that chemicals aren't these weird things that are dangerous all the time. They are used in everyday life. And places like ChemTalk really help kids understand this to no end. So I hope you enjoyed this particular chat. I certainly did. And I hope you have a fantastic afternoon, morning, evening, whatever it is that you're doing. And uh, I hope to catch you another time. You've been listening to me, Ben Newsom from Physics Education. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. And I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S.
This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au